welcome to yet another anime podcast. Just who the hell do I think I am? I'm Ninja Boy, and I'm yet another anime podcast host. Happy December, everyone. We're less than 30 days away with 2020 left to go. Um, and as of the time of the release of this episode, we're only a couple of days away from the premiere of the final season of Attack on Titan. So super exciting there. Next episode, we'll cover the history of that franchise in the same way I did for Sword Art Online a couple episodes back. But in the meantime, I've been continuing to work on catching up to my seasonal anime for uh, the fall 2020 season. I was actually getting pretty close. I'm only about you know three shows away from being fully caught up. Uh, and then I started thinking about you know maybe I should put together a preliminary anime of the year list, like you as you do this time of the year. Uh, but I realized I couldn't really do that comprehensively without at least checking out and taking into consideration some of the anime stuck on Netflix jail, uh, especially the hits of this year of Great Pretender and Dora. That, combined with the recent announcement that Netflix has a lot of great anime coming in 2021, including Way of the House Husband and the second season of Beastars, I figured now would be a good time as any to dive into the world of Netflix exclusive anime. All while throwing me even further behind on trying to catch up with my current seasonal anime. But in any case, let's dive in, shall we? So, to take a step back, when we talk about anime streaming here in the West, what we expect nowadays in 2020 is some form of simulcasting, usually. Basically, the anime in question will air on some time slot on television in Japan, and then either simultaneously or within a few hours of premiering in Japan, will be made available here in the West on some streaming platform with English subtitles. The rise of streaming platforms largely started around 2013, with Crunchyroll being a leader there, with the two smash hits of Sword Art Online and Attack on Titan paving the way for the new world order of anime consumption. Uh, the two main titans here in the West are the aforementioned Crunchyroll and, of course, Funimation. Yes, there are a number of smaller services such as Retrocrust or High Dive, and occasionally Amazon Prime will license or so, which is a whole other episode worth digging into anime stuck on Am- left to die on Amazon Prime. Um, or, you know, it would be made available for free on YouTube, uh, notably with Gundam on their Gundam Info channel. But when we're talking about seasonal anime that simulcast in Japan uh, and the US, it's largely either Crunchyroll or Funimation. From a logistical backend perspective, what's happening is that Funimation or Crunchyroll essentially pay the production committees in Japan some licensing fee to have the rights to stream the material in certain geographic markets here in the West. And if they pay more, they're able to get the exclusive rights. Um, And sometimes one platform may get the streaming rights for the Japanese language subtitled version, while another one may get the streaming rights for the English language dubbed version. So that's all fine and dandy for legal streaming. Now, especially when it comes to the core anime fandom who want to have that weekly discussion about each episode of seasonal anime as it airs in Japan. So what happens when Netflix licenses a show? Well, first off, uh, we have to clear up what a Netflix original anime means. And Netflix so Netflix anime come in one of three varieties. Uh, the first are shows that Netflix gets a license to stream an old anime show, which are usually not exclusive, but just adding to Netflix's overall catalog. Uh, for example, Netflix has shows such as Gurren Lagann, uh, Naruto, One Piece and Beats, uh, One Piece and Bleach, uh, Death Note, Full Metal Alchemist, and One Punch Man, among others. But in addition to Netflix, you can also find these these series on other uh, on other streaming services as well. 
Uh, one notable exception is that Neon Genesis Evangelion, which came, which Netflix got the exclusive license to uh, last year, 2019, is a classic series that is only available for Netflix legal, and that's the only place you can watch it here in the West. The second version of a Netflix license show is what I is what uh, I call personally their Netflix originals or made for Netflix. Uh, and it, it gets confusing, but you know, for the purposes of this episode, when I say a made for Netflix show, this is what I'm talking about. These are anime that did not premiere on Japanese television, uh, but were first debuted on Netflix as a platform um, in their typical binge manner of dropping all the episodes at once. Um, and usually this happens globally as opposed to just within one specific geographic market. Uh, the most well-known of these within the anime community is most likely Devilman Crybaby or Agretsuko, and Japan Sings 2020 from earlier this year is another one that you know, did not have a television uh, broadcast before airing on Netflix. Now, Netflix is sometimes more directly involved in the production of these, and sometimes they cut out a production committee entirely in this case. Um, so, you know, they have the creators, you know, may tend to have a little bit more creative control over these kind of shows. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, and then the final type of Netflix anime are, you know, what fall more closely to what Crunchyroll and Funimation do. They find a show that's airing in Japan on television and pay the production committee the licensing fee to have the streaming rights for it in specific geographic countries. Uh, again, usually worldwide streaming. Now, Netflix may get involved in helping with the production costs. If you know if they you know, come on at the beginning when the show is, be, is about to be produced, um, they come in and say, hey, we'll help fund this uh, if we get can you know from the beginning get the licensing fees uh, for you know get, get the license uh, to stream this worldwide um, but you know again that still goes through a production committee and there are still considerations for you know it has to like still play well on traditional you know Japanese television market uh, some shows that fall under this are great pretender Beast stars seven deadly sins and Carol and Tuesday now, this final category of Netflix licensed anime are what fa what fall into what many seasonal anime fans call Netflix jail, um, as opposed to Crunchyroll and Funimation, who opt to simulcast each individual episode as it comes out on a weekly basis with subtitles. Netflix will instead sit on a series until all episodes have aired in Japan, take the time to both sub the anime as well as dub it into local languages, not just English but also French, German, Spanish, whatever, wherever they're located, um, and then release both the sub and dub versions of the anime with all episodes dropping at once. Um, this is generally because they found, right, like their algorithm has found that shows will generally perform better, you know, on their platform if everything comes out at once and if, uh, you know, sub and dub are available at the same time. Sometimes, you know, if the anime is too core, about 25 episodes or so, maybe they'll release the first 12 episodes in one batch and then a few months later drop the second half of the season, um, you know, at a later point in time, again, all in one drop. Uh, notably, it's often the case that Netflix will actually simulcast uh, the Japanese dub version on Netflix Japan only, but not for the rest of the world. You know, again, part of the licensing streaming rights where if they're going to stream in Japan, maybe it's part of the arrangement they have to simulcast it. So they have the ability to do so, at least you know, at least in Japan. Um, it's just that you know, for their worldwide releases, they opt to uh, do the binge model of release. No, I think another reason for this is that you know there's probably no additional work they need to do. They don't need to get uh, translators. They don't need to, to dub it. They just need to just release it um, as as it airs in on television on Netflix Japan without any additional work on their end. So obviously Netflix again does this drop for the reasons that you know it better fits into their business model of releasing uh, shows for bins worthy uh, bins worthy session. But you know what effects does waiting to drop anime have on a show's popularity? 
For the broader anime audience who isn't as invested in seasonal anime watching, frankly, there's not a lot of difference. Uh, and that's probably the audience who Netflix is catering to. Uh, I know a lot of people who don't really want to be following up with a show each week, and they prefer to wait until the series is complete before watching it all at once. Netflix dropping everything all at once fits their model of watching anime. Um, also, the benefits of being on a platform as large as Netflix cannot be understated in helping a show's profile. Uh, for example, Seven Deadly Sins, which we'll talk about later this episode, um, in my opinion, is a pretty substandard anime, but it somehow still manages to have a 7.95 rating on Mal and is the 26th most popular anime by number of viewers. And it's currently going into its fourth season on Netflix, uh, being a Netflix exclusive here in the West. Now, that's the ca- that's the quote unquote casual uh, anime watching audience. For the more hardcore seasonal anime watchers, uh, Netflix Jill is pretty rough. Uh, when you're having thirty plus shows vying for your attention in a, any given season, as I am now, um, it's not really easy to. And if if the show isn't easily accessible at your fingertips on one of the main platforms, right? You know, Crunchyroll Funimation. Presumably, Netflix could be up there as another one if they were to simulcast. But because it's not, right? I have to go through the additional hoops of either torrenting or sailing the high seas or finding some other illegal version to watch it, that's just like an additional work for me to do to watch like one show, one or two shows that they're airing. So, you know, that that makes it so that if I'm trying to follow up with so many shows, if there's an extra work to me that I have to follow the show, I'm just not likely going to be watching it. Um, now, granted, some anime fans don't care also about the legality um, or they don't can't afford to otherwise and they pirate and, you know, that's that's fine, you know, by in my eyes, right? Like that that's that's their decision to do so. But what that more importantly leads to, right, is that it ends up fracturing the community with regard to opinion on the show. For example, you know, Great Pretender came out several months ago, and you know, instead of following up on it with eight week to week episodes, I waited until it came out on Netflix. So, you know, the half of the community that already watched the Great Pretender through less than legal means has already had that conversation. They've already moved on to the next thing, whereas myself and other Netflix fans who wait, or Netflix fans who you know waited until it all came out on Netflix, you know, net were only just now getting to watch The Great Pretender, but again, that discussion is now diluted. What's more, you know, if Great Pretender is now coming out in the fall anime season, but it had aired back in, you know, spring or summer, right, I'm trying to keep up with the fall anime shows, right, and so adding on yet another show on top of that mix because it came out late here in the West, you know, again, less likely for me to actually go and watch that show um, because I already have a lot of other things, you know, if I'm, you know, I guess this might be part of the anime content creation ecosystem, but if I'm making, if I'm watching up to stay current with the current conversation in the community, the conversation that already happened you know half you know half for half of the community a couple seasons ago you know i'm more interested in getting involved in the, in the conversation about what's happening now you know and again this may be my subjective opinion also but i think part of the fun of the water cooler discussion about anime is that there is week-to-week theory crafting or hypothesizing on what will come ne- in next week's episode right with jujutsu kaisen yes there are ma- manga readers who have, know what's going to happen but for anime only fans right the fact that Every week we're like, oh, what's going to happen next? I want to see what happens next week, you know, or Akudama Drive. We're digging into each episode and trying to, you know, pick out the clues and and try to hypothesize what's happening. Uh, We see it this season also with Talentless Nana, trying to figure out how is Nana going to get out of it, out of, you know, her predicament this week. And I remember back in college when Kill a Kill was coming out, the discussion threads were full of theories and the deconstruction of the symbolism within each show or each minute detail. Because we couldn't binge it all at once, and instead, you know, we only had this 24 episodes that came out that week to to break apart, you know, in whatever detail we could. 
In comparison, when something drops all at once, for example, BNA earlier this season or earlier this year, um, there was less tension in each episode discussion because, well, I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to watch episode one, discuss it, and then go watch episode two and then discuss it, right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to watch episode one through episode 12 all at once and then just talk about the show as a whole. I'm not going to talk about each individual episode as its own thing. I'm only going to be taking the series as uh, for its complete value, which may be a benefit for you if you really just want to talk about shows as a whole as opposed to the individual discussion. But I think part of the appeal of the weekly seasonal anime crowd is the ability to watch each show on an ongoing basis. Now, that's not to say there's no benefit whatsoever in Netflix getting involved in the anime industry. Uh, For one, one thing I've noticed in checking out the top-rated Netflix anime is that they're all bringing more diversity to the medium um, in terms of genre, subject matter, and even the technology being used. Um, What I mean by that is, you know, a lot of anime traditionally produced in Japan targets a core audience that ends up favoring the cute Moe style, right? Um, A bit of a generalization, but, you know, there's definitely a lot less Moe anime on Netflix, um, you know, and part of the reason that, you know, Moe anime, you know, tend to be more popular in Japan is that anime is a business and they're produced by a committee of investors from the music industry, merchandising industry, publishing industry, and, you know, obviously the television industry. So, you know, take a cute idol show with cute Moe girls, you know. You have the music industry able to slap on one of those songs for the opening and ending songs and insert songs. Um, the characters are cute, and then so you can make toys and figurines to spin off and sell merchandise on. Um, and then you can even spin it off into their own manga or into gotcha games or whatever. Not to mention all the Blu-ray sales that will come. Um, you know, and every put everyone involved in the production committee gets their cut from this show becoming a success. Now, this leads to a lot of the series being a little bit more generic and being a little bit more, you know, not able to take as many risks because there are so many hot hands in the pie. This leads to a lot more unique t- series with, like, a lot more unique takes, um, especially you know, if there's a lot more mature content, right? Like, you know, gory science fiction or or whatever like, philosophical stuff that's not quite as merchandisable. They're not completely abandoned, right? But they are definitely a lot less common. Netflix, on the other hand, doesn't really care about merchandising, right? I mean, for for the musical industry, right? Like Netflix has the whole skip intro button on the intro, so you know there's a good chance that if you pay for a license to your your song to put onto an anime, you're just getting skipped over. You're not going to get any sales because people are skipping it, right? And you know Netflix only cares about the algorithm. And I suspect after all the thrillers of Black Mirror and Stranger Things, uh, we've fed it as an audience to believe that we want video science fiction series, which in my end is a plus. So Netflix, as a global, also as a global audience, they're not bound to using only Japanese source material or, or catering to Japanese sensibilities, right? Uh, you know, one of the you know. Uh, one of the things I'm really excited for, you know, next year is that they're going to be adapting Chess, which is a Filipino graphic novel uh, about, you know, Aswang, which are like Filipino vampires. Um, that comes from Filipino mythology, right? And that's not something that you would normally see in a Japanese animation. Um, you know, Little Witch Academia Susie says, like, we'll, talk, we'll get to that later. Um, now... And, you know, they also call a lot of other things that may not be traditionally anime, anime, like Castlevania, right, or Dragon Prince. They're anime-inspired and anime-adjacent, but it still caters to, like, a wider audience, not just Japan, right? You know, in addition, while anime in Japan is no longer fully hand-drawn cell animation of the days past, CG animation and CG animation is still being used. It's 
it's still quite rare for there to be a fully CG animated show. Um, and it's not really feasible. I think part of that is it's not really feasible for studios to try to do it on a weekly series. You know, it can get very expensive to, do, to produce in that way, right? Especially if you don't know what you're doing. So, you know, however, Netflix, you know, one, originally made for Netflix anime, they don't have to worry about the weekly release schedule. So they can take the time they need, right, funded by Netflix to, you know, work and perfect the craft and put together the CG show. Um, you know, not even for the TV shows, even for a lot of the movies are using CG technology. And even if it is a weekly release show, right, Netflix coming in to help with the production and spending the money means they have the resources to be able to invest to use that CG technology to achieve a certain look for that that the director wants to do. Um, and this allows directors to enable their vision, you know, even if it doesn't fit the traditional genre, conventions of genre production. Now, granted, you know, that seems like this increased budget from Netflix hasn't fully trickled down to freelance animators who work for the studios. But, you know, for more on that, you should definitely check out the video by The Canopy Effect on how Netflix affects the anime industry linked in the show notes. In short, though, you know, I will say I do appreciate Netflix for their willingness to fund productions that embrace genres and looks and technologies that other studios, hampered by the traditional production committee model, might not otherwise be able to pursue. All right, so all this comes together to means that there are definitely shows on Netflix I, I like many others, have missed out on uh, that have been caught, caught up again in quote-unquote Netflix jail. Um, again, Great Pretender came out this year, and Beast Star Season 2 is coming out in January. So, you know, let's talk through what the, season, the streaming service has to offer. Now, I went to realgood.com and also, you know, just, just the gen and, and looked up like animation and anime that are available on Netflix, right? Um, now, obviously, there were a lot of anime that were on that list that appeared on other stuff. So I just looked at the set that were only on Netflix, right? And by my account, right, I may be off by a couple, but by my account, Netflix has just over 51 shows I would consider uh, unique to Netflix, right? And these are either made for Netflix originals or licensed shows, you know, the ones that aired on, on TV before coming to Netflix uh, here in the West. And those are the ones caught in Netflix jail. Now, this splits down from the 51 shows to about 31 licensed from Japanese television and then 20 Netflix originals. Uh, note, again, I'm only talking about television shows or, you know, ONAs, original net animations uh, that have multiple episodes. OVAs or movies not being counted here. I'm also not including anime-inspired shows such as Avatar The Last Airbender, Dragon Prince, Volt 1 Legendary Defender, Castlevania, or Neo Yokio. Basically, if it doesn't appear on my anime list, I'm not counting it here. Now, in chronological order, the first Netflix anime was an adaptation of the manga Knights of Sidonia back in 2014. I remember it actually got a lot of flack for getting for that weird uncanny use of cg again this is kind of the early days netflix i guess was really pushing this use of cg um you know for their anime right so anyway nice Sidonia, first original netflix anime licensed from tv another one right seven deadly sins or nanatsu no taizai which is you know also came in 2014 as another netflix license so nothing really happened in 2015 but in 2016 and 2017 each saw three to five anime that were licensed by Netflix. Uh, this was before I started paying for all my own anime watching platforms. So uh, apparently, according to my old My Anime List accounts, I actually watched a couple of these through less than legal means. Um, I definitely remember starting and completing uh, the gambling anime Kakegurui, though I haven't yet started second season, which is on Netflix. And I also watched the first episode of Children of the Whales. Um, I don't remember watching Ajin Demin Human or Magi The Adventures of Sinbad, but I did watch the original. More on that later. Um, but, you know, I also do remember it being a big deal around this time that My Little Witch Academia, the TV series, ended up on Netflix as well at the time. 
So 2018 saw a, a shift in both the volume and strategy of Netflix's approach to anime. On the licensing front, they upped the number of licenses so from three to four a year to you know twelve shows a year. They were licensing from anime from Japanese television. And then also, this is when Netflix began getting more involved in anime production, as they would be the only place that the anime would be viewable. It wouldn't even show up on television. This started off with the wildly acclaimed series uh, Devilman Crybaby from Masaki Yuasa in January of 2018. And also other hits from this year are Agretsuko and Bucky the Grappler, which actually is an adaptation and, uh, and a revival of a 2001 anime um, and the second half of the uh, manga series it's based on. So you can't watch just Baki, I think. Um, I have to double-check that, but I don't think you can watch Baki by itself and get the entire story. And then there's also some quote-unquote, like, some also not as well-received or popular shows, such as Be the Beginning, Ico Incarnation, and Sword Guy the Animation. So a little bit, a little bit more hit and miss when they expand the volume of what they're adapting and licensing. Um, interestingly, fun tidbit, there was one show, Hero Mask, that was actually the first anime that was made for Netflix and premiered on Netflix, but then later retroactively got a television time slot. Um, in short, there were seven total made-for-Netflix anime originals uh, in 2018. And in 2019, continued with more of the same trends, um, if anything, with a larger focus on the made-for-Netflix shows. Um, only four shows were licensed from television, as far as I can tell, um, though two of them, uh, Beastars and uh, Carol and Tuesday, um, are both very good. And, and then eight shows, right up from the seven, were made originally for Netflix. Uh, notably, one of these was actually the anime Cannon Busters, which was produced based off an American fantasy comic book after a Kickstarter campaign allowed for that team to create a pilot episode to shop around uh, which events Netflix picked up. Um, notably, 2019 was also the year that Netflix got the exclusive worldwide rights to Neon Genesis Evangelion. Okay, so here we are at 2020. Um, it's kind of e even out, right? We have about five licensed shows um, and then four Netflix original productions. It seems like you know they've kind of stopped from the, okay, let's try licensing a lot of stuff from, from television. They saw that some of those probably didn't work out as well as they liked. Um, but on the licensing side, you know, in addition to BNA, which I covered on this show, we have Great Pretender and Dora Hedero. Um, in addition, we also got the currently airing Pokemon television series, Pokemon Journeys, um, which is the first time in the West that Pokemon is not airing on a traditional broadcast uh, channel such as Cartoon Network. Instead, it's going directly to Netflix. They release about 12 episodes or so every quarter as it is a long-running continuous series. And then over a little bit of a month ago, right, in October, uh, Netflix announced a slate of shows coming in 2021. Of these, uh, the ones I'm most excited for are Way of the House Husband, ridiculously hilarious manga that you should be reading about a former Yakuza who's now a house husband. Um, Yasuke, a story of the first African samurai voiced by Lakeith Stan Stan Stanfield in English. Um, and then Tress, which I mentioned, the adaptation of a Filipino graphic novel about the local variety of vampire Aswang. Um, also, there's a Godzilla anime and a Pacific Rim anime, so I'm on along those. Now, so far, we've talked about how Netflix's business model differs from other anime streamers here in the West, and we've given a brief overview on the history and the immediate future of anime on Netflix. That said, I couldn't end the show without giving some recommendations. Now, again, I'm not a crazy person. I did not watch all 50 Netflix originals and, and licensed shows in one week uh, for this show. Heck, I didn't even watch all of the first episodes. Um, that said, you know, there are definitely shows I've been meaning to check out for a long time. And so here are my first episode impressions of the top five rated exclusive anime on Netflix, according to Mal. They all happen to be licensed, so nothing original made for Netflix. We'll probably cover that in a future episode. Um, and also, just a heads up, minor spoilers for the first episode, each first episode discussed below.
First up, we have Violet Evergarden, produced by Kyoto Animation in 2018, uh, based off of a light novel by Kana Akatsuki. Uh, according to Mal, this is the most popular anime on Netflix, with a 8.63 rating, uh, 57th overall on the site. And I can definitely see why. Uh, before I even get into the plot and the story, this is certainly one of the prettiest anime I've ever seen. Uh, no surprise there, though, because Kyoto Animation. Um, you know, I probably am due to do a Kyoto Annie retrospective at some point, but other shows of theirs I've seen, such as Magi Billion Park, Hibikei Euphonium, and the Sound Voice movie. And yes, I know I should watch their other classics like Clanad, K-On, Haruhi Suzumiya, Dragon Maid, and Nichijo, but... Kyo Annie's use of light character outlines and uh, li the lighting combined with the delicate pastel color palette is just delicately aesthetic, right? Uh, moving on to the story, we're not given much, right? A seemingly emotionless girl is recovering in a hospital after seemingly recovering from some war that was oh, that, that just finished, um, waiting for her superior, a major of some kind, to pick her up. Uh, said major's subordinate, who the major's implied to have passed away in the war, um, you know, comes to pick her up and bring her to live in a distant city, and then yet the girl, Violet, doesn't seem to understand the most basic of human conventions or emotions. Um, but it seems by the end of the episode, she seems to have taken the initiative to she wants to discover what human emotion is. Um, you know, it's, it feels a little bit like Full Metal Alchemist. There was like, you know, again, minor spoilers for the first episode. She does have, you know, kind of these auto male arms, kind of like from uh, prosthetic arms, kind of like from Full Metal Alchemist, you know, minus the alchemy. Um, but yeah, I, I, at the end of the episode, you know, we're left with we're left with an unexplained pang that we don't fully understand because we don't know what's all fully happened, but we know that she suffered loss and that the show will be about her coming to grips about that loss and understanding herself and her relationship with others and how to move on from that loss. Uh, this doesn't seem like a light show that you can just kind of throw on, kick back, and enjoy, but it's one where you expect to have your heart go through pain, but hopefully by the end of it, come out with a catharsis and a new outlook on life. Uh, in any typical season, an animal anime season, I would definitely consider this to be an early contender for anime of the season, based on for the first episode alone. And it seems to have been successful enough. You know, Demon Slayer's massive movie success this year aside, another highlight for the box office, uh, shout out to my podcast, Box Office Watch, is the second Violet Evergarden movie uh, premiered this year in Japan and did pretty well um, as far as anime movies go. You know, that was not titled one of the major franchises. You know, I can't say I'll go and binge this series right after recording this episode. Um, I suspect I'm going to need to be in a somewhat melancholic, contemplative mood to fully appreciate the show. But when that mood strikes, check it on me after I finish the 12 episodes to make sure I haven't completely bawled my eyes out, please, okay? All right, next up, uh, the new hotness of 2020 on Netflix, Great Pretender. With an 8.42 on Mal, this with Studios production is the 157th most popular anime on Mal, uh, which is pretty impressive for something that came out just so recently. Now, Studio Wit is most well known for being for producing the first three seasons of Attack on Titan, as well as Vinland Saga, Awari no Seraph, and the Ancient Magus Bride. But the work of theirs that this most reminds me of is uh, 2015 an anime I never quite finished uh, called Rolling Girls. Now, this is a. These both have bright splashes of colors and an upbeat Western inspired soundtrack. And so, you know, Great Pretender oozes energy and charisma. But it's not as though it's all style and no substance, as some people claim Rolling Girls was. Uh, the two presumed leads, you know, Japanese Makoto and Frenchman Laurent, are fairly charismatic, even if they are scandals and con men. But there's something enjoyable about seeing these charming bastards get away with it, and equally enjoyable to see their comeuppance, you know. 
but you know, not not necess- not even not from 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 you know law enforcement, but from each other. Based on the arc titles that have been released, we know that the first arc will take place in Los Angeles, but it's not the only international location. It's an anime that jets jets around the world, uh, in the world of high-stakes carmen, and as a premise, that seems interesting enough to keep it going, especially considering, you know, world travel in, in Japanese anime isn't all that common. Unlike Evergarden, right, Great Pretender is definitely one you can throw on to just have a good time with as a pick-me-up. Um, I mean, you know, at the very least, you can rely on Freddie Mercury's rendition of Great Pretender as the ending credits to be a good listen to, uh, even if the, and the, though that said, the rest of the OST definitely stacks up. I can definitely see why so many people are considering this their anime of the year for 2020. Now, I mentioned before that many Netflix series, including their first, Knights of Sidonia, have higher use of CG animation as opposed to what you might see in a typical seasonal show. Uh, this is even more apparent when you look at their movies again, Gantz Zero, for example. The next show I checked out is one of these shows, uh, Dora Hedero, based off of a seinen manga by Q Hayashida, um, also early, aired earlier this year with a mal rating of 8.11. Now, note this is a little bit gory and so may not be as fully kid-friendly if that matters to you. Uh, the premise for this is kind of nuts. So, Sapin, uh, imagine there are two worlds, one where magicians live and one where they don't, uh, called the Hole. Uh, the magicians travel from their world to the Hole and practice their magic on the residents there, experimenting and mutating them without second thought, kind of making it a miserable place to live if you might be turned into an insect you know, the next day out of nowhere. You know, as a result, the whole has the feel of a beat-down, cyberpuntic, dystopian, post-apocalyptic world, stands the cyber elements. Uh, and so Cayman, an amnesiac man who happens to have a lizard head uh, who's immune to magic, and his only cue to his past is that he knows something happened between him and a magician. So he goes around fighting magicians and sticking their faces in his mouth because, wait for it, uh, there's a human head inside of his esophagus who will tell Cayman if he recognizes that magician's face. So, I'll take you a second to process all, process all that. Now, this checks a lot of boxes for me personally. For one, we don't get enough brutal post-apocalyptic series in anime as is, never mind those inhabited by lizard-head-hunting magician protagonists. Um, and then compared to Knights of Sidonia just six years ago, the CG animation really has come a long way. And I think the CG animation is actually the perfect medium from Door Hedor as it's a slightly uncanny feel and a variation from a typical anime look that just adds the unsettling nature of being in the hole. You know, the hand drawn and backgrounds also do a really good job of this. Plus, you know, this is a studio map joint, so, you know, they've been on the absolute fire this year, uh, animation-wise, and, you know, even with a slightly different medium, I have complete faith in them to do a good job. And, you know, while the mystery of what happened to Cayman and the sub-revenge plot of the magician side of the world will carry on through the show, I, I am sure, I think the other part that really hooks me is just how likable Cayman is, right? Him and his friend, diner owner Nikaido, are, you know, they're just two pals living in, like, a post-apocalyptic world. And, yeah, it's a pretty silly place, but, like, you know, they're just making the best of it and just, you know, enjoying life to the best of their ability, right? You know, the banter, despite the grim surroundings, really adds a heart to this show. And while I haven't read spoilers for this series, I'm willing to bet that they'll add to their crew of misfits in the misfit world. Kind of reminds me of Cowboy Bebop to, to some degree, which is, you know, a good comparison to make. Like Great Pretender, I think, you know, the, the characters and the style of the show are its strong selling points. I think the balance is a little bit more in favor of the characters as opposed to the style here, um, especially to compare the Great Pretenders words the opposite. Regardless, both are a fun time, uh, you know, but maybe not quite as kid-friendly due to all the gore, but, you know, I think Doorhead Roar is definitely one to check out. And then next, uh, number four, we have Beastars, which is an 8.09 that aired about a year ago. 
Now, this is another one that leans heavily into the CG animation, uh, but for more information for that, I strongly recommend you check out, once again, The Canopy Effect for his video on the studio breaking down Studio Orange and how the CG work done on the show is literally groundbreaking. I'll say that Studio Orange's other CG work, uh, the um, Hosoke no Kuni, um, even if they get around to finish it, is really stunning to look at. And Studio Orange is confirmed to be working on the upcoming Godzilla series Netflix has ordered, so looking forward to that. Anyway, back to Beastars. Uh, this was actually a series where I had read a good bit of the manga in advance, so I was already invested in the series before coming in. I just needed to find an excuse and time to actually watch the, the anime. Um, I did eventually lose track of the story. You know, life got busy. I couldn't keep up on the manga subreddit. Um, I lost, and I kind of fell behind on some of the chapters. And it was a bit while ago, so I don't remember all the fine details, but I do remember the story being pretty interesting, right? Um, I know the joke is overplayed, and I swear, but I swear, between this and BNA, uh, Netflix is definitely trying to turn this all furries. Um, as far as selling the show to you, though, don't let that fact, you know, that it's anthropomorphic animals, scare you away. Again, I come as a manga reader, but, so I know what happens, but... The story is a surprisingly deep allegory for society and how we're all pretty quick to judge each other based on appearances, right? This is, in, in the story, this is shown in a world where carnivores and herbivores are usually co coexisting peacefully, but, you know, within the first couple of minutes of the first episode, um, a herbivore, an alpaca student, is killed at a school with both, and now a lot of suspicion is thrown on the carnivores for not being able to tame in their instincts, Right. Um, now, we've seen this in Zootopia from Disney, but, you know, this one is a little bit less family-friendly that it has a little bit more bite to it, if you'll excuse the pun. Um, the main protagonist, Lugosi, is a lone wolf wolf uh, who seems relatively docile, but, seem, but grapples with that killer instinct of his inside. And also featured are Haru, a rabbit who's on the receiving end of some mean girl-style bullying and seems weak but also has an inner strength to her, and the dear Lewis, or, or not Ruiz as the subtitle suggests, uh, who is a more aggressive lead despite being uh, a herbivorous her uh, deer. He's the lead of the drama club and the star of the school. Again, Coming as a manga reader, the three will interact, how, the way how these, he, these interact and the difference between the public and private persona and the difference between those and the uh, assumptions people make about them because of their you know, species uh, makes the show and the story really interesting. Plus Panda Sensei, but he comes later on in the series. I know the manga actually completed, completed earlier this year, so maybe I should go back and, and check it out to refresh my memory. Again, season two, two, uh, season two of this does come out in January, though knowing Netflix, that'll probably be closer to April when we finally get it here in the States, um, unless you see all the high seas. But of course, you know, I got to give out a shout out to the band Ali, who does the bumping opening track Wildside, who also does the ending for Jujutsu Kaisen this season. Uh, definitely check out Beastars, either for its unique look or unique premise or, you know, just a good characterization along the way. Now, technically, Neon Genesis Evangelion was actually the third highest rated Netflix original anime, uh, licensed so at 8.31 between Great Pretender and Dorohedro, but given I already had an entire episode on that, on why you should check it out, uh, let's continue down the list of anime on, on Netflix uh, just, you know, to find more recommendations. Uh, note, I actually watched a, a good bit of the next couple of shows, so we'll keep going until there's something I didn't watch. 
Now, I already covered Carolyn Tuesday in my Shinichiro Watanabe episode. You know, actually thinking about it, it may actually be the first anime series I ever seen to completion on Netflix. Anyway, quick pitch for this one. Uh, two young musicians uh, living on a pseudo New York analog set on the future Mars. Uh, basically, you know, we follow their career, um, Carol and Tuesday, as they embark, you know, to try to become professional musicians. Um, everything from busking on the streets to finding a manager of questionable quality uh, to performing at music festivals and competing on the equivalent of the Marsden American Idol. Um, the clearest strength here is that the show is the, in the, is the variety and the quality of the music performances. Music is always a highlight of any Watanabe show, and a show focused exclusively on music is definitely going to be a treat. Something that Netflix Money definitely helped out with is getting high-quality vocalists to sing across you know, different artists uh, across the industry, as well as pulling in you know, a variety of musical collaborators as well. I will say I did enjoy the uh, I did did enjoy the second half, but the pacing does pick up a bit, a little bit almost too fast, as if Watanabe had a little bit too much he wanted to share in the Carol and Tuesday and the world thereof. Um, so he had to kind of cram it all in the last couple of episodes and feels a little bit rust. But that said, I still don't think it's worth watching the completion. Um, also, shout out to the Mermaid Sisters; they were totally robbed from uh, Mars's brightest star. Anyway, next up, we have Seven Deadly Sins. Um, again, I have watched this and, and read this. Now, a little bit of a rant here, right? On its surface, Seven Deadly Sins has a lot going for it. It came out as a manga, uh, which I read back in uh, October 2012. This was prior to Attack on Titan and Sword Art Online becoming the next big thing in anime. So, you know, the current top, the top dogs of Sonin at the time were, you know, the big Sonin Jump 3, One Piece, Bleach, and Naruto. Fairy Tail was a thing at this point, kind of like as a fourth competitor against those, um, going on about six years at this point. Um, but there was definitely a gap, and people were looking for kind of like the next big Sonin series. And a lot of people, myself included, thought Seven Deadly Sins could be it. You know, set in the medieval world, sorcery and swords, inspired by Arthurian legends. Uh, the titular Seven Deadly Sins are seven legendary knights who, each named for a particular sin, were disbanded years ago for reasons. Uh, in the first episode or chapter, the Princess Elizabeth seeks out the sins to ask for their help to fight against the so-called holy knights who have corrupted and taken over the kingdom. You know, as these things go, she finds the leader, Meliodas, who's running a tavern on the back of a giant pig, and so begins the adventure to find and reunite the Seven Deadly Sins to help out Elizabeth. Now, in the context of 2012, this had a lot going for it, right? As opposed to other Sonin series at the time, um, it was it seemed fairly revolutionary at the time that the main protagonist was already one of the most powerful characters in the show. He was just hiding his power, and people were just kind of underestimating that. We kind of see that now with One Punch Man, uh, you know, kind of executed a little bit better, but at the time, it, w- it was felt relatively novel, right? The other part, you know, there's a little bit edgier to it, right? Like, um... You know, that the good guys are the sins and then the bad guys are the holy knights, right? So a little bit more of an edge to it. You know, add in the dash of Arthurian mythology, which is already familiar to readers. And again, a lot of promise in the early days, you know, the sexual, you know, fan service and harassment of Elizabeth by Meliodas aside. I even I will say I did watch the whole first season and you know it was enjoy the first season was decently enjoyable as an adaptation of the manga. That all being said, I can't really recommend this show for a couple of reasons and this kind of falls into the 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 food wars problem, right? The manga suffers from what I consider a combination of editorial pushing the cast cow of the series to go on much longer than it should have, um, and then the author also not having any real idea how to properly end the series and just extending it on and adding on power, but ending up taking away from the core of what they made the series great in the first place. I actually ended up dropping the manga before it actually completed, which is, you know, 
even worse than what I did for fairy. I finished fairy tale to its completion. Um, but you know, a lot of the things, right? Like the being the most powerful at the beginning, partway through they introduced, oh, there's actually even more powerful people. Uh, you know, that took away from that, right? And the sins, you no, know, we're no longer rebels against the world. They end up reconciling with the like the holy knights and so on, right? And so a lot of the conflict felt pretty hollow. Right. Uh, after that, you know, on the anime side of things, so I haven't watched, but I've seen the the clips of it. The animation for season three is just terrible. Right. Like definitely, you know, some of the best fights apparently took place in season three from the series, and you're just setting up yourself with disappointment because it's going to look like slideshows and off model characters, and it's going to look terrible animation. So. You know, I think you, as an anime fan, deserve better. If you want a good Sonin series, instead, go watch the currently airing Jujutsu Kaisen. Or if you really want to stick to Netflix, I would recommend watching the 2011 Hunter Hunter series, stylized Hunter x Hunter, instead of Seven Deadly Sins. Just save yourself the trouble. Alright, another Sonin series you could probably check out uh, is uh, Magi, uh, Adventures of Sinbad. Now, this is actually a spin-off of, of another Sonin series I really enjoyed, Magi, The Last Lab- Labyrinth of Magic. The original series can be found on Netflix and is definitely worth a watch. I didn't include it in my list of Netflix exclusive here since it was actually originally licensed to Crunchyroll, Hulu, and Funimation, which you can still find it at. Um, that said, the original Magi series is actually an 8.09 out of my anime list, which would be the same as Beastars. Um, you know, what sets the story apart is that it's based on the mythology of a thousand and one Arabian Nights, which frankly is a mythology that could be explored a lot more in Japanese and frankly Western uh, animation as well. The world takes place. The world it takes place in is one with magical castles uh, called dungeons, uh, each ruled by a jinn. Um, those humans who conquer the traps of the dungeon become the jinn's master and can attain great power enough to become king of your own nation. Now, there's a pretty robust magic system, and it and involves the dungeon conquerors sharing the jinn's power with their trusted vassals. The story follows the adventures of Alibaba, one, someone who becomes a dungeon conqueror, Aladdin, uh, a boy who has a mysterious past, uh, and eventually Morgiana as well, as they encounter dungeons and dins and various foes, all while trying to figure out about Aladdin's past and make their mark on their world. Go watch Magi the Labyrinth of Magic, it's totally worth it. That said, it's all prequel. That said, you know that's all you know uh, a setup for Magi Adventures of Sinbad. Now, partway through the original story, you know Labyrinth of Magic, they end up meeting with the titular, you know Sinbad, right? Who takes his name from again another uh, hero from Thousand One Arabian Nights, um, and he's a total badass, right? He's conquered not just one but seven dungeons and created a kingdom in Sindria called Sindria with eight powerful vassals known as the Eight Generals. And so, you know, Magi Adventures of Sinbad is a spin-off prequel to Magi the Labyrinth of Magic. And it, you know, tells the story of Sinbad, where he came from, his rise to power, and how he assembled these eight vassals to, you know, serve to serve him. Again, definitely check out the first Magi series. It's definitely worth checking out. And if you like it enough, you'll probably know if you would be interested enough in following up with uh, Magi Adventures of Sinbad. Uh, reading the manga also isn't a bad option either, actually. It completed um, at this point, and I think believe it's 369 chapters that ran over eight years or so. So, you know, also a recommendation to check out Magi Adventures of Sinbad and Magi the Adventure Labyrinth of Magic, both anime and manga. So, I guess to wrap it up, you know, let's talk about Little Witch Academia. Now, if you know me, you know that Studio Trigger is one of my all-time favorite studios out there. Uh, Little Witch Academia started off as Studio Trigger's contribution to the Young Animators Training Project in 2013, uh, an incubator for young anime industry talent. Coincidentally, this is also came out alongside Madhouse's Death Billiards, um, you know, that sort that came out the same year, which will later become Death Parade. 
Uh, in any case, after a positive reception to their short OVA on YouTube, Studio Trigger produced a second OVA, Lilowitz Academia The Enchanted Parade, in the same universe, and it follows the same characters. They actually held a Kickstarter for it that extended the runtime from 20 minutes to 50 minutes that got met in 5 hours. Um, that came out in 2015, again, to much critical success. After that, in 2016, it was announced that Trigger would produce a full-length TV animation TV, anime TV series based on Little Witch Academia, directed by Yo Yoshinari, who also directed BNA, Brand New Animal. That would air in 2017, uh, and eventually, of course, come to Netflix. Now, I would say you should probably watch the OVA first, both, if possible, uh, before watching the TV series, but unfortunately, there's really no place to legally check those out. Uh, they were available on Netflix up until last year, but I can't find any place online right now to legally stream them. In any case, though, I have been meaning to watch out the Little Wits Academia TV series and how the world expanded from the sort OVAs to a fully realized you know, television anime series. Uh, the OVA starts off with our protagonists, Akko, Lotte, and Susie, as already friends and in the middle of their second year uh, of their school year. Uh, this one, the TV series dials it back to the start of the year when they aren't quite friends yet, and so it's basically an all-female version of, uh, you know, and so the personalities are a little bit different as they have to grow. Now, the easy way to pitch the show is that it's basically uh, an all-female version of Hogwarts uh, with some crazy shenanigans, including uh, this Draco Malfoy analog who doesn't appreciate the fact that Akko comes from a non-magical background. Now, this definitely is the most tame of the shows I'm recommending today, as tame as anything Trigger can make anyway can be, um, as it's definitely, you know, more popcorn fun, right? Not really as deeply philosophical or emotional or whatever. It's just, you know, good fun to have and you know, almost like a Saturday morning cartoon to some degree. I know I'm biased because I ha I have my buy-in from having seen the OVA and my trigger fanboy goggles, so your mileage may vary on the show overall. But I can tell there's a lot of heart in this one. You know, also with the Filipino Alice Tambor broom, uh, Susie is definitely the best witch. Anyway, to recap, we went over the following anime this episode: uh, Violet Evergarden, Great Pretender, Dora Hedero, Beast Stars, Carol and Tuesday. Uh, Seven Deadly Sins, which you really shouldn't be watching anyway, uh, Mazai, Labyrinth of Magic and Adventures of Sinbad, and Little Witch Academia, the TV series. All of these, aside from Seven Deadly Sins, you should definitely be checking out on Netflix. Now, hopefully this deep dive into the world of Netflix anime was a good break from the grind of keeping up with seasonal anime. You know, I think there are about 40-ish more anime on the platform I haven't really dived into, not to mention the anime-inspired series and the anime-adjacent series, or the anime that's coming in 2021, so this definitely won't be the last episode where I go back and revisit the so anime so stuck in Netflix, um, both licensed and made for Netflix originals. And of course, you know, there's still a lot of seasonal anime that got overlooked because they got licensed to a less popular anime service such as Amazon Prime Video, which I could probably do an episode on the on, about those in the in the future episode. So, um, hopefully, this was a good episode and you guys enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. What are your favorite Netflix original anime? Um, what be, might be other gems hidden on the platform that I'm missing? Let me know on Twitter at yetanoanimepod or via email at yetanotheranimepodcast at gmail.com. Follow my My Anime List at NinjaBoy333, boy with an I. Uh, link to that as well as iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play links in the show notes. Leave a review on there on podcast.com. It really helps us out. Intro and outro music is provided by Suichi Sakagami at Tandes.com. Editing and production is provided by NinjaBoy Media. That's it for this episode. We are on the first and third Fridays of each month. Uh, next, week, uh, next episode, I'm going to talk about Attack on Titan as a series. Until then, see you, Space Cowboy. Bang. <laughs>